what I found with Revelation, and this was kind of a surprise, is that all of this imagery, this, there's not a ton to unpack. It seems very uh, coded to us and secretive, and it almost feels like uh, the writer of uh, the author of Revelation is trying to send out these coded, subversive messages. It's not that way at all. The people in the first century and people who, who weren't even a part of the church would have understood very clearly what, what John is saying. It'd be like us seeing a political cartoon uh, with a donkey and, a, and, a, and an elephant in it. We know what those groups represent. And so that's the case with the imagery. So the imagery um, is, is pretty easy to unpack, and that's, that's allowed us to get through uh, whole chapters, whole two chapters, sections at a time. Um, <clears throat> if we didn't, we'd still be doing this by Lent next year. So <laughs> we're going to, uh, we're going along. Like we got a few more, few more weeks, uh, but 17 and 18 go together. And um, if you missed last week, you want to log on because we had a rousing, uh, knee-slapping, belly laugh time talking about the wrath of God last week. It was so much fun. <clears throat> uh, it was a little bit heady. Uh, but, you know, all kidding aside, uh, <clears throat> it's an important subject to understand. Uh, because we kind of read about that more than we read about God's love. Um, and so we need to understand it. So we talked about that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> and uh, just as a point of review, um, you know, it's prominent in Scripture. It shows up everywhere. Um, we often push back on that imagery because it offends uh, our modern-day humanitarian sensibilities. You know, it kind of makes us uncomfortable sometimes. And deep down, I think that a lot of us wrestle with God loving us. Um, we, we wrestle with that subject. We, we wrestle to believe that God loves us. And so when we read passages like we read uh, early on about God's wrath, we automatically think that uh, it, it touches something deep in us that we wrestle with, that maybe God is angry with us. I remember, Eduardo, maybe one of your first sermons where you were talking about the furnace broke, so God must be angry with me. And that... that that uh, resonates in my mind because I think we all have felt that somehow, oh, yeah. you know. And so, you know, at North Harbor, we don't want to just, you know, sweep it under a carpet. We want to lean into that and understand um, what it means. And so just as a very quick review, because it, it really sets up the passage that we're going to look at this morning, the, the two basic things that we talked about last week was that wrath is just. And when we read about God's wrath, it doesn't necessarily mean God, an emotional thing. It might mean just a, more of a forensic or a legal thing uh, that God's wrath, that God's justice is now uh, coming to the earth. And uh, that's very important. We're coming to a system uh, that needs uh, God's love and God's attention and, and equity to be brought to it. Um, sometimes uh, there's, there's a couple terms used for wrath. One of them is an emotional one that's more like anger, but most of them have to do with a more of a forensic or a legal term that talk about God's justice is now coming to the earth. That is something to celebrate. And I've heard this term um, thrown around lately that the system is broken. You know, I was talking to our doctor about the medical system. She's, and this is a doctor. She says the system is broken. I heard it from someone else the other week, just last week. I was talking about someone, a relative in the hospital, said the system is broken, feeling like this person got released way before that, you know, they should have been. And uh, we talk about the welfare system being broken. I mean, how many 
times you watch on 60 Minutes, once every several years, you're going to see a story about uh, someone who's trying to make a comeback, a single mom who's got several kids. She gets a job, but the job doesn't pay enough for her to make a living. Uh, but because she's making money, uh, she can't make welfare, or he, or whoever the single parent is. And it's, you know, it exposes a system that is broken. We talk about our justice system being broken. And so when we hear about wrath and God's justice being delivered and coming to earth and, and coming to a situation, that is something we want to celebrate. If we are followers of God, that is something that's good. If, you're, uh, if you've been victimized, then God's justice is something to celebrate. So God's wrath is just. God's wrath is chosen. And this is a great, you know, we, we talk about, um, we, we do the story of the flood. And you see it in kids' books. Happy animals going into the boat, you know, two by two. And everything's really happy, except that the world is destroyed in this, in this uh, scenario. And we look at that and we think, wow, how does, you know, how does God's anger and you know, love for humanity work in there? And it's very clear when you read that story. It's very clear that <clears throat> creation becomes undone. The forces of disorder and chaos come crashing back onto the earth because of human evil and, and wickedness. That is what the reason is. And so uh, <clears throat> I was reading some uh, N.T. Wright, and he was making the, the point that wrath is chosen. Oftentimes we choose uh, this path forward, or people choose to become a part of a system that's broken, and then when it breaks... Uh, we're part of it. You know, we're kind of wrapped up in the aftermath, so to speak. Um, I, I have, this isn't in the computer, but I had it for uh, last week, and I didn't get to it. This is really interesting. This is uh, Isaiah at the very beginning of uh, the book of Isaiah, writing to Israel. And there's this poem that's really beautiful in Isaiah 5. <clears throat> it says, Now I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard. On a rich and fertile hill, he plowed the land, cleared the stones, planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. <clears throat> then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew <clears throat> were bitter. This is the, the, the person making this vineyard is God. And it's talking about all the work that God had put into this land of flowing with milk and honey, this place where Israel is, uh, is, is now a nation and living, and all that God has done. Now, you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard? The, the work that God is doing is all about helping this vineyard to thrive. All the work that goes into setting it up to flourish and thrive. <clears throat> what more could I have done? Uh, when I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will tear down its hedges. I will let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals trample it. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed. A place overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds to drop no rain on it. The nation of Israel is the vineyard, and the Lord of heaven's armies, the people of Judah, are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, 
but, in, but he heard cries of violence. So when it says what God is going to do, it's all the things, all the things that were done that God did are undone. It's not so much that God is raining down fire and hell on this thing. It's that all that, all that was given to it was just left alone. And so it, be, it kind of, the weeds take over and the animals come in of its own accord. It falls, it, it implodes in on itself. It goes to seed. Goes to seed, right. So, <clears throat> I love that story because it, it really frames, uh, I believe, how God works. That God is moving. I talked with Will after the service last week. He got this great image of that the Spirit of God is going out to uh, bring order and harmony and love and justice and mercy into the world through God's people. God works through people. <clears throat> and when we push up against that, that's what God's wrath is. We're just not accepting the hedges, yeah, and the soil and the in the good and all the pruning that God has done to help it thrive. God's wrath is God's love resisted. God's wrath is God's love resisted. Um, <clears throat> So when cultural, political, economic, sociological, psychological forces bring chaos and disorder um, and press against God's work of order and love, um, it's going to implode. It's going to fall apart. And that is often what we hear about when we speak of God's wrath. Um, <clears throat> those who have aligned with those forces of disorder and chaos will suffer with, you know, when that kingdom falls, whatever that kingdom is, uh, the love for money, uh, the love for power, uh, lust, uh, when that falls, uh, they fall with it. When that kingdom falls. Um, <clears throat> so God's wrath is something to celebrate for those who desire God's will on earth. Um, Revelation is written to a first century church depicting, depicting first century realities, not predicting 21st century outcomes. <laughs> if we're trying to figure out who the beast is, we've missed the boat. It's pointed to realities behind that first century situation. And so um, it wants us to understand what's going on in culture. So it pictures things like uh, um, dragons and lions and beasts and lambs. And we're introduced to a prostitute. And later we'll be introduced, that'll be balanced out by the bride later on. And, um, you know, why? Why does it choose these images? And I believe... The reason why is because when we're living out our everyday life, um, it seems ambiguous at times where goodness is and where darkness is. Um, we get confused about uh, what is with God and what is not God, and we can, be, we can become a bit disoriented in understanding uh, where God's work is really at. And so it pictures these things in bold colors and in big terms so that we can uh, be oriented we can be directed in the right direction on the choices that we make. And so I was thinking about this idea of orientation. I was reminded of uh, something that happens to me a lot. And um, <clears throat> we, um, we, when we moved to Richmond about uh, 11 years ago, um, <clears throat> we started doing our shopping up north in Augusta. You know, all the stores are right off the highway. And I was like, I was loving it. I was like, this is awesome. We don't have to go down to Portland and all the lights and all the traffic and all this stuff. We just go to Augusta, it's right off the highway, and so we go up, and uh, it's not an indoor mall like down in Portland, but all the stores are up there. 
and you get off the highway, you take a quick left, easy to get there, and it's all built up on a hill, and there's this road, and I thought, this is great, this is going to be so convenient. There's this road, this access road that goes up the side, and then there's all these turns off on either side, you get to the stores. Sounds easy, except that when I go up there, it's these two lanes, and I feel like I'm in a a NASCAR race or something. <laughs> and it's like you're going around these turns and you know NASCAR where they start out and the cars are like that far apart and the bumpers in. That's what it feels like. And then you're trying to figure out where to go and it's like there's either a, a sign with like 28 things listed or there might be three stores listed on this little sign that's about that tall. And I'm trying to figure out so, you know, we're with the family, and I'm trying to be like, uh, okay, we, we just figured it out. Inside, I'm like, ah, you know, I can't. I'm like, ah, this is so stressful. And Lisa, Lisa can't stand it because I never know where to turn. I, I'm always like, where is it? You know, and it's like, so the movie theater, you got to get off, and you go back behind, you go down this little, between two other ones, you take a left, then you take a left, you go through the stop sign, it's back behind. You know, and I'm always like, where are we going? Where are we going? And if you don't, you're just going to end up at Kohl's if you just follow that. <laughs> it's just going to take you to Kohl's, which is great if you want to go to Kohl's. But if you don't want to go to Kohl's, you're out of luck, man. I mean, because it's like you're in the S-turn in a NASCAR. And NASCAR doesn't even have S-turns, right? That's IndyCar. But still, yeah. it freaks me out. And, I, you know, when I delivered, I delivered furniture in, in, uh, in Columbus when I moved there for a couple years. It's great. You got an outer belt, big circle, and everything's in a grid. Yeah. It's like north, south, east, west. I know where I'm going, but you know, driving Boston, forget it, forget it. Unless you drive with Garrett, go with Garrett if you're ever going to Boston, because because he will, he will leap over medians to get uh, where you need to go. I freak out, and so there's this loss of orientation, and Lisa's always like, it's, it's over there, it's always over there, you know, and, uh, and I get lost, I get lost, and I get caught up in all the traffic that's moving along, and so it's really important, what John is trying to do is to help us be oriented and make it very clear on where the turns are, um, and so we're going to see that play out as we, uh, as we read this. So let's jump into this. We're going to read right through them, and uh, I'll just make a few comments on some of these images, and then we'll reflect on it when we get to the end. But this idea of orienting ourselves and not being duped um, and not being caught up in the flow of culture. Okay, so Revelation 17, verse 1 says, One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. So the seven bowls follow the seven trumpets, which follow the seven seals. This is all the same thing. They all kind of look at the same events from a different angle and we're at the end but the end's going to play out over the next several chapters um, <clears throat> so come with me he said and i will show you the judgment that is going to come on the on the great prostitute here's a new image the great prostitute who rules over many waters the kings of the world have committed adultery with her so this so okay we'll just keep going and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel, yes, uh, took me in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry, gold... Uh, Hear all the economic terms in here, the ones dealing with wealth and money. You're going to see it everywhere. 
jewelry made of gold, precious gems, and pearls. In her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great. So here's the symbol. Babylon is this symbol of evil and human arrogance and wealth and power. It's not writing about Babylon. Babylon's long gone by then. It's writing about Rome. It's writing about Rome. <clears throat> it's a symbol. This is like political thing. It's a it's a donkey or it's a it's a we know who it is. There's no or an elephant. There's no mystery here, right? Mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. It's talking about the persecution of the church. I stared at her in complete amazement. There's a lot of negative terms, but I think we need to understand that this is someone who's very beautiful. This is a very beautiful picture, alluring. Why are you so amazed? The angel asked. This is great. Why? It's worth pausing on that. Why are we so taken? Why are we so amazed at this? In other words, you shouldn't have been disoriented by this. The idea of disoriented. You shouldn't have been fooled by this. Why are you so amazed? I will tell you the mystery of this woman, the beast, with seven heads and ten horns on which she sits. The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now, and yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit to go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, the systems of this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who died. This calls for a mind with understanding. Don't be duped. Don't be fooled. Don't be disoriented. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. Rome has seven hills. That's not, there's no symbolism there. There's seven hills. Literally. Yeah, so we know who this is. This is Rome. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen, six now reign. The seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. And scholars differ on who the kings are. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. He is like the other seven. He too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are, seven, are ten kings that have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and their authority. This is all these nations giving their authority, giving their power to Rome. Together they will go to war against the Lamb. This is the church, Jesus. But the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of all lords, King of all kings. And he is called and chosen and faithful uh, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Then the angel said to me, The waters where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people of every nation and language. Rome is a very expansive empire. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the... This is interesting. The scarlet beast and his ten horns hate the prostitute. So here we see even within this evil system... There's hate within it. We talked about, you know, systems will self-destruct. They'll implode. And here we see that evil is going to devour itself. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, burn the remains with fire. We got, uh, <clears throat> yeah. For God has put a plan into their minds 
a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast, and so the words of God will be fulfilled. And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over all the kings of the world. It's a picture of wealth, it's a picture of power, it's a picture of evil, and it's a picture of evil that's going to devour itself. After this, I saw another angel. Verse, this is Revelation 18 now. Come down out of heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor, gave a mighty shout. And here we have a song. I love this. Babylon is fallen. The great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons, a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, for every foul and dreadful animal. This reminds us of Isaiah 5 a little bit. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury. The merchants of the world have grown rich. She hasn't just grown rich, but everyone she is in league with grows rich as well. Come away from her, my people. Don't take part in her sins. This is, this is me driving up, trying to get out of this, this current of cars. It's like it's just carrying you along. There's something going on in this empire, and they want us to know, don't be deceived by it. Don't be tricked. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as heaven, and God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others. Double her penalty for all her deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so brew twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with torment and sorrow. Here's the idea of what you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. She boasted in her heart, I am queen on my throne. I am no hapless widow, and I have no reason to mourn. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She will be completely consumed by fire, and the Lord God who judges her is mighty. The kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn as they see the smoke rising. They will stand at a distance, terrified by a great torment. They will cry out, How terrible! How terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city! In a single moment, God judgment came upon you. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant uh, thine wood, ivory goods, objects made of expensive wood, bronze, iron, marble, Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horse, wagons, and human slaves. The fancy things you love so much are gone. All your luxuries and splendor are gone forever. Never to be yours again. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out, How terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold, stones, and pearls. A single moment and all the wealth of the city is gone. 
it's like they're kind of going overboard on all this wealth, right? Uh, and all the captains of the merchants of the ships of their sea, their sailors, uh, the crews will stand at a distance. They will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend. And they will say, where is there another city as great as this? And they will weep and throw dust on their heads and show their grief. And they will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. Ship owners became wealthy by transporting her great wealth on the seas. In a single moment, it's all gone. Rejoice over her fate, O heaven, and people of God and apostles and prophets, for the last God has judged for your sakes. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a millstone, and he threw it across the ocean and shouted, Just like this, the great city Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. The sound of harps and singers, flutes and trumpets will never be heard as, uh, in you again. This is, this is so interesting. I'm going to pause here because I know you're fading out. Okay, so it's a lament. This is a dirge. And it's sort of, it's, even though this city has so much evil, there's a lament about it. There's something sad that's happening here. Even though it's been talked about all these grotesque terms about what it's committed, there's a sadness the sound of harps and singers and flutes and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No craftsmen, no trades will ever be found in you again. The sound of the mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard in you again. For your, member, your merchants were the greatest in the world, and you deceived the nations with your sorceries. And your streets flowed the blood of the prophets, the God's holy people, and the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. It's sad. It reminds me of Jesus uh, when he comes to Jerusalem. On the one hand, he weeps over Jerusalem. On the other hand, he pronounced these woes. And it's, I love that because I think in human emotion, you can have all that together. So there's something sad here. And I think that there's a huge lesson for us that you know, this is not about gloating. It's seeing uh, God's work and being sad at when things fall that could be beautiful, that could be used for good, that could be a place of order and harmony and justice and righteousness. All right, so some thoughts. Um, I, John does not, our church is, uh, not our church in North Harbor, but the church in general, the more conservative end of the church, has always, it seems like it looks towards Revelation to identify things. We're looking to see when it will happen, where it will happen, who it's going to happen to, who is the beast, who's the number represent, all that sort of thing. This is not about identification. It's about discernment. It's about understanding um, culture. And it's about understanding the world power that we live in and um, being able to discern good from evil. Um, <clears throat> so it's about discernment. And um, if, we, if we're going to talk about world, where, you know, Let's list a few world powers right now. Where do we start? The U.S. Start with us, right here. The U.S. So, this is interesting. Because oftentimes as we read this stuff, we are the poor people that are suffering. But you got to ask. We're living in the empire. This is a world empire. And all this wealth, and all this power, and all this status. And I... I there's an issue here of persecution. There's, there's two scenarios here. One is a church being persecuted, and there's encouragement. Jesus died and then rose again. Have hope. Because the end of your physical life is not the end. 
You will reign with Christ. Okay. Hebrews is a lot like that as well. There's another scenario here. We're not quite sure if the church is really being persecuted very hard at this time. We know it did in the past. We know it has happened periodically. And so the warning is, how cozy are you with this empire where you're living? How cozy are we? Have we been deceived? Are we going along the flow up to Coles? We don't want to go to Coles, you know? <clears throat> you don't want to go to Coles, you got to get off the road. And it's, it's hard to do because the signs are not big enough. We, we feel like we're, be, we're being drawn along. And it can be disorienting. How do we get there? It's around the back. You've got to go to the stop sign. Then you take a left, and it's behind. Why is, why is the theater behind Walmart? I don't, you know, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. But we have a lot of wealth and a lot of power and a lot of status. And it makes you wonder why the church is growing in these third world areas. Um, perhaps because the evil and the systems there are a bit more easier to see. There's not as much wealth. Um, the church in the West is declining. The church in more persecuted areas is growing. Um, <clears throat> technology, social media, money at ease, happiness, anti-aging cream, and anti-balding medicine. And I mentioned before, welfare, healthcare, justice, military, politics. We have a lot of broken systems, and people suffer under those broken systems. And a lot of times those systems are kept going by people with power and status and wealth to protect and to gain. And so I've often thought, this is the first time we've studied it in depth, but I've often thought that this is a book that American Christians need to read and need to understand. Um, <clears throat> that we should not be deceived or disoriented by the power and the wealth and all the ease around us. But to see it for what it is, we have, there's, you know, other kings of the world are, are gaining on this as well. And there's other superpowers as well, uh, but we are definitely one of them. And all the promises... Uh, for life and eternal life, it's a parody. It's a parody. A parody, I, I, I look this up, an imitation in the style of a particular writer, artist, or genre with deliberate exaggeration for comic effect. The office, right? The office. This isn't really an office, but there's elements that make it funny. There are little things about office life that are funny once blown up. Well, the things that the beast have to offer us. It's a parody. It's not really the real thing. Jesus offers the real thing. It says Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So this is calling us to a decision. It's a calling to us to discern. And I was thinking about like what specific steps, what can we do? And oftentimes at this point I say, you know, find those, find those moments where you feel connected with God and engage in that and schedule it. And it's vague, and that's still true, and it's vague, but let me give a more specific example. I remember on my sabbatical, one of the things I would do is I'd go for a walk. I often do prayer walks. I've talked about this around the block. But this, this time I'd go for longer walks, and it wasn't so much about prayer. It was about listening and seeing. And I'd go out, and this was during this, the summer, and I remember going on this long walk, and I thought, I'm just going to listen. 
for all the things I don't really listen for. It's a dog barking over in someone's yard. It's the smell of grass being mowed. It's um, a motorcycle. You know, the motorcycles that have the speakers that like light up the whole neighborhood. It's that, you know, I can hear it driving like eight blocks away and um, someone working out in their house and I thought there's so much going on here that is so beautiful and it's all just right now at this moment it's detached from whatever I'm just hearing what's going on in town life happening the bugs there's a certain sort of bug I don't know what it is that hits us around August that I hear in the trees and I love that sound I love that sound the, the clouds and the sky and and when the, the wind turns dry in, in, uh, in August, right? And you get those crisp uh, blue skies and a bit of a breeze, um, just soaking it all in. Because at that point, I'm, what I'm seeing is God's beauty working itself out. And it focuses me on that, not on something I feel like I need or want on the internet, on what, uh, Amazon or whatever or uh, my schedule being disrupted. Um, here's, this is going to sound like a PSA, but men's group, come to men's group. Last time we sat around a fire and we asked, we, we talked about that story where the guy is healed of demons and then he wants to go with Jesus and Jesus says, no, stay here. Go and tell all the good things that God has done for you. We went around a circle. Tell us all the good things that God has done for you during this time, last couple years. It's beautiful. And it's, it's better than a sermon you'll get from me because I'm hearing this real life, like I was going through this, and God showed up in this way, in this way, in this way. And all of us sitting around that fire get to see it and hear it about God at work, rather than just going along in the flow to coals, right? Communion. We take communion. It struck me that these two things, there's two scenarios. One is persecution, one is apathy. And going along with culture. Jesus faces both of those. And it's the, apathy, it's the apathy and the temptation of power that he faces first. He's in the wilderness. And he's tempted with power. I'll give you all the power in the world. You know, I'll fill your belly. He's tempted to uh, distrust God's faithfulness. Those are real temptations. The temptation for power. He faces that first. He deals with that first. All that the nations have for him, all the wealth, all the status, all the power, he denies it, then he's able to go to the cross. Father, I really don't want to do this, but not my will, but your will. That's interesting to me, that he's able to face those temptations first, then he's able to confront the evil power. And he defeats it. The, the biggest thing they can throw at him, death. He's resurrected. Amen. He's resurrected. Amen. Right? So we take communion. That's a time to stop and slow down and think about what Jesus has given us, mm -hmm. what Jesus has gone through. And we bring to Him our temptations. And we bring to Him our trials and the persecutions and the systems that we feel a victim of in this world. And we know that He has done the same. Um, <clears throat> lately, I've been saying yes to lots of things. You know, just big issues. Uh, Good friends coming to me with ministry ideas, like, okay, let's do it. Let's try it out. Um, <clears throat> needs around the world. He's, I talked about human trafficking. $150 billion industry worldwide. 
worldwide. There's a small ministry in Connecticut that's trying to deal with that in New England. Sure, I want to talk to you. Let's, let's see what it is. Maybe it's just saying yes to whatever big thing. What, what is coming your way that you feel like you're overwhelmed with? And are we going to be swept along with culture and luxury and all that this culture says is going to change our life forever and make us happy? Or are we going to follow God? Right? So we're going to take communion. And I'm going to let that be our meditation as we take communion. Um, that Jesus faced the temptation uh, to go along with things. To get what he wanted for himself. And he said no. And then three years later, he's pressed up. He's between a rock and a hard place. And he says, God, I don't want to do this. But I will do it. I trust you. I trust you. And it's not gloating. I think he sees what's going on and he's sad. There's a lament. And they're hammering. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They're disoriented. They're going along with that flow up the hill. And it's not anger. It's not rage. It's a forgive them. They don't understand. They're a part of a system they don't quite get. And that whole book, this whole book, is trying to get us to wake up to that and make that choice, the same choices that Jesus made. So Chris is going to serve communion. We are going to sing. And uh, it's a time to come up and um, take communion as you feel led. Grab your kids and bring them up. And we are going to sing. And I'm going to pray briefly here. God, we thank you for your word. Ah, it's amazing. Every time I dig deep, I I think there's no way a human being could write this. It's just so amazing the way it's, it's laid out and it's shaped and it's delivered. And we have such deep truths to uh, drink from and eat from. Um, Give us the strength to say no. Uh, to the currents in our culture uh, that will devour us. And help us to say yes to you. That we would feed on every word of God and find our fulfillment, our true selves in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.